0: Listening to the Destiny Community Church podcast. Today, I continue with week three of a three week series called Here Comes the Bride. Here Comes the Bride. And last week, church, I explained to you how God prepared a bride for Adam by putting him to sleep. He opened up his side, took out a rib, and he created woman um, with intricate detail, is what the translation says. out of Adam's rib, he created her. God did the exact same thing with the second man, Adam, Jesus Christ. It was not until after he went to sleep on the cross, they pierced his side that the bride of Christ was then uh, created and, and started being prepared for her bridegroom. And, and we are the bride of Christ. You've got to get that through your mind. We are the bride of Christ. And like Eve, with intricate detail, god is preparing us right now to present to the bridegroom to jesus christ he's preparing us for that great day when he presents us to the groom august twelfth, 1995 i have a picture here i want you to see that's my wife mandy and i have no idea who the young guy is that is us on our wedding day august twelfth, 1995 and on that day, I made the greatest decision of my life besides accepting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So this was the second best decision that I've ever made. And I was just a scared 20-year-old kid in that picture, rather. You can tell by the look on my face, scared. And I can honestly say that, that Mandy and I, together, we've come a long way. We have. Um, we've had our ups and downs like every marriage. We've, we've had our triumphs and tragedies. We've had our victories, our defeats there's there's been good times and there have been bad times but we have remained faithful to that day to this day and on that day we we made a commitment to each other and although at times I'll admit we haven't liked each other very much there's been many times during our marriage that we didn't like each other a lot but we have always Stayed the course and let the love of God prevail in our marriage. Let me tell you something Let me say something about this though. This series is not about our marriage. I do want to say this about marriage If you feel like the love is lost If you feel like it's gone Everything in the kingdom of God is on rhythm Everything I teach this at at least once a year everything is on rhythm It's the reason why Sabbath comes around weekly. Everything in the kingdom of God is on rhythm. All the feasts, all the festivals, it's all on rhythm. And you might find your marriage in a valley. Stay the course, because if you'll stay the course, it's on rhythm, and the love will return. And then you're gonna go through another season of life where, where the love feels like it's not there anymore, and you don't like each other very much. Stay the course. Don't let the enemy talk you out of it, because if you'll stay the course, the love will return. And Mandy and I, throughout these 27-plus years, we've had plenty of good times and we've had bad times, but, man, I'm telling you, we have always allowed the, the love of God to prevail in our marriage. And, and over the next month, I'm, I'm happy to tell you that Mandy and I have the opportunity to speak at three different marriage conferences, including the DCC marriage conference on February 17th and 18th. And, and if you haven't signed up, if you're a married couple and you haven't signed up for that, you're going to regret it because it is one of the greatest events that we put on as a church. It is fun. It is life-giving. It is a great, and that Friday night is, is one of the best times. And, and I'm telling you, you want to be here Friday and Saturday, 17th and 18th of February. But I'm figuring that by the end of February, after Mandy and I speak at three marriage conferences over this next month, I'm figuring that this 27-year-old marriage might just make it. We might make it. We, we we get through these three, I think we will have some knowledge, and we'll figure this thing out. Amen? I love how the Apostle Paul used a little comic relief in his second letter to the church in Corinth. I'm, I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, um, but Paul, if, if you don't know this about the Apostle Paul, when you le- read the Pauline letters, Paul had he, there was, he had a spiritual gift of sarcasm operating in his life. Anybody in the room have a spiritual gift of sarcasm in your life? Pastor Andrews not here today, but bless his heart. That's the king of sarcasm, if you if you know. And and that that is that is how Paul operated. And often in his writing, um, although it's truth, Paul would come across very sarcastically. And I love how in this little section of, of the, the first part of chapter eleven um, of Second Corinthians how he, he kind of emphasizes that. And listen to what he says right here. Second Corinthians 11, verse 1. I hope you will put up with me, uh, put up with a little more of my foolishness. Please bear with me. So that's how Paul starts this. He says, please, I'm almost done with this letter, but, but just bear with me. A little bit more foolishness coming your way. Verse 2. For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. There, there's so much that Paul says right here to unpack, but man, there's, there's one thing that jumps off the page here. And he says, I promised you, I promised you to God as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. One of the most liberating and freeing moments for me as a pastor is when I realized this is not my church. I get to shepherd this church, but you are not mine. And when he revealed to me that I will spend my entire ministry preparing the bride for another man, it freed me. Because that really is part of my job, is is to help prepare the bride of Christ to be received by Jesus Christ. To be received by the bridegroom. And in in this particular part of this letter, Paul was trying to convey to the church in Corinth that they needed to be careful. He is stressing to them, you need to be careful. And he likens their relationship with Christ as that of a bride and a groom. And his fear that he puts in words, his fear was that they would be deceived like Eve was in the garden. And that their faithfulness to Christ would become corrupted as what happened with Adam and Eve? They were deceived by Satan and their faithfulness to God, their obedience to God, their trust in God became corrupted. And Paul says, this is the fear that I have. He says, I, I, I must let you know that, that I, I promised you as a, as a pure and holy bride to your bridegroom, Christ. But I'm, I'm fearful that you're going to be deceived like Eve was. Throughout the scriptures, our relationship with Christ was often described as a marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I want you to hold on to that because because we've got to come back to that in a few moments but but he says I, 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 you need to, to, to be prepared you need to be ready without spot or wrinkle or any such thing and that she might be holy and without blemish you get over to Revelation chapter 21 and and John the revelator John is seeing this vision on the pile of, uh, on the Isle of Patmos and while he's he's on the Isle of Patmos it, God is revealing to him Things that are to come. And in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 2, John records these words and he says, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's the description. That's how he describes what he is seeing. He said, I saw the city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God. And he says, As it was coming to the earth, he said, It looked like a bride that was adorned for her husband. Just a few verses later in verse 9, Revelation 21 and 9, there's an angel that that looks at John and says, come with me, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So the angel says, come with me, John, I'm going to take you and I'm going to show you the bride of Christ, the wife of the lamb. He proceeds to show John the details of this city called New Jerusalem, he shows him the gates, he shows him the streets, he shows him the, the different levels and, and what they're made of and, and all of the structures of the city. And John is is faithful to write down what he has seen. And, and and what you realize when you get to the end of this chapter is that the bride of Christ was not the buildings and the structures. Though he's describing all of that and what he sees coming down from God out of heaven he realizes that the bride of Christ was, was actually the inhabitants of the city. It wasn't the city itself. It, the bride of Christ were, were the people that were there. Revelation chapter 21, verses 26 and 27. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. How many of you are thankful today that your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life? Amen? If your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, it says that you get to be an inhabitant of that city. You get to be a part of the bride of Christ. And trust me, if, if, if you are not, if your name is not recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life, It can be before this service is over. I guarantee you we're going to give you an opportunity. So let the Holy Spirit work on your heart right now. But it's interesting to me that out of all of the institutions that God could have used, he chose the analogy of a bride and a groom to convey Christ's relationship with those of us that are called the redeemed. Those of us that call on the name of Jesus and we have been saved from an eternity of punishment, an eternity of hell. Our names are in the Lamb's book of life. To understand this fully, church, we must understand the marriage customs of first century Jews. The people that Jesus was teaching in, in, in that moment, that was the world that they lived in. It's hard sometimes for us to understand the, the message and what's happening because we're not first century Jews. But when we study the customs, when we start to to dig a little bit deeper, which is what this series, that's what it's doing. It's causing us to dig a little bit deeper for us to understand our relationship with Christ a little bit more. And so what I want to show us today are the four stages of a Jewish wedding, the four stages of a Jewish wedding, and, and see where this lines up with our relationship with Christ. The first stage of a Jewish wedding is the betrothal, the betrothal. But the betrothal was a binding uh, agreement and could only be undone by a divorce with proper grounds. If you didn't have proper grounds, you could not go through with it. And proper grounds would be an unfaithful bride to be, an unfaithful uh, fiance. Um, if if the bride is found to be impure in any way, then 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 that's grounds for uh, a divorce. Um, and and we we read that and and we're like, wait, divorce? They're only engaged. It's part of the process, and only, it could only be broken, betrothal could only be broken by a certificate of divorce. For example, we see this played out in the lives of Mary and Joseph. Before Jesus was born, they, they had to face this. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. So she was engaged, betrothed. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin... She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit Joseph to whom she was engaged was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly so he decided to break the engagement quietly this says a lot about the the character of Joseph the Bible says he was a righteous man this means he did what was right and sometimes when when we're hurt sometimes when 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 there's an injustice against our life We will lash out of our pain, we'll lash out of our hurt, and and we'll hurt others in the process. Joseph, he wasn't buying the whole I'm I'm pregnant with with God's baby. It, it it that that wasn't on his radar. He understood she was pregnant and it wasn't his. And he was willing to to divorce her quietly, not make a public spectacle out of her. He didn't want to put her on blast. He wasn't going on social media and ruining her life for the whole world to see. That's not what Joseph was wanting to do. The Bible says that he was a righteous man and he wanted to divorce her quietly. They were only engaged, but it, it, it was a process that they were going through. Um, but, but God revealed to him in a dream that this child was, in fact, the Messiah who would redeem Israel. And, and he accepts to not only marry her, but to also raise this child like it was his own. Now, in the Jewish marriage process, the young man prepared a ketubah. And the ketubah was a marriage covenant, covenant agreement. It was a marriage covenant contract, if you will. And, and he would present this, this contract, this agreement, to the intended bride and her father. Included in this contract was what they called the bridal price or the bride price. This was money that would compensate the young woman's parents for the cost of raising her as well as being an expression of love. In in other words, I'm going to pay you for your troubles in raising her, but I also want to add a little bit to it so you can see how much I love her. Now, I am so looking forward to the day that I am reimbursed for all that I have spent on my daughter since the day that she was born. No pressure. But man, I, think about it. Think, I I've, I've put food on the table for her. I have bought her clothing. I've bought her shoes. She buys her own shoes now, praise the Lord. It's freed me up to buy my shoes. I have put a roof over her head. You know, probably the, 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 one of the, the largest expenses was when she got braces. Because that girl was never going to get married with those teeth. Those things were jacked up, man. I'm telling you. We had to spend some money on some braces and praise the Lord, I'm going to be reimbursed. I think, it's a, I, I think that that is a custom that we need to adopt here in America starting now. And I can just be reimbursed. The betrothal process... It depicts our salvation don't miss this like the Jewish marriage custom the betrothal begins with a covenant presented by the bridegroom Jesus Christ is the bridegroom and he presents to all mankind his covenant of salvation and then he pays the bride price he pays the price of the covenant and the price of our redemption For his bride, the bride of Christ, that price, it was his suffering and his sacrifice on the cross. That was the price. He was willing to give his life, pay that price for our redemption. 1 John 2 and 2 says he is the payment for our sins and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. He was willing to pay the price for me, for you, and for all who would call on his name. The second part of the marriage process was acceptance. Acceptance. To see if the proposal was accepted, the the potential groom would would pour a cup of wine for his beloved and then he would wait to see if she would drink it. Because this cup represented a blood covenant. And and if she drank the cup, she would have accepted the proposal and and they would be betrothed, they would now be engaged. So, So he... Presents the the contract he presents the terms of the agreement and if she drinks from this cup then now they are officially Engaged I want you to listen to Jesus at the Last Supper the the last uh, Week of his earthly ministry before his crucifixion I want you to listen to what he says at the Last Supper as he drinks wine with the disciples Matthew 26 and 28 He looks at them and he says for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people, it is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Luke makes it even clearer in his gospel. Same instance, just listen to his description in Luke 22 and 20. He says, after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. It is at this moment that the groom promises his fiancee I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until the day we are married that's what the groom says to her he looks at her after she accepts the, the covenant agreement she drinks the wine and he looks at her and says I will not drink wine again until our, our wedding day I will not partake of that until our wedding day listen to what Jesus told his disciples at the Last Supper after that first communion Matthew 26 and 29 I tell you I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom he says until we are reunited again as as groom and the bride of Christ he said I will not drink of this again this young woman, or this young man rather, would then give gifts to his beloved and then he leaves. The young woman would have to wait for him to return to collect her and to bring her and her belongings to his home. Did not Jesus do the exact same thing? Think about this. After his ascension, now he was crucified, he was resurrected, and then he ascended to the right hand of the Father. After his ascension, "...he bestowed upon his church, his bride-to-be, the bride of Christ, he bestowed upon the church the gift of the Holy Spirit who empowered the church with spiritual gifts." He did the exact same thing. You see, he is using this process to describe his relationship with us. And our bridegroom ascended to the right hand of the Father, but he did not leave us without gifts. He says, I want to empower you. I want to make sure that you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which will be my power working in you. You see, what many people don't realize is that the gift of the Holy Spirit is a gift to the church from Christ. Scripturally that's, scripturally, that's what it tells us. It is, it is a gift from Christ. Luke 24 and 49, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but stay here in this city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. You see, that's the operation of spiritual gifts in our life. It's the power of God working in and through our lives. The, the third part of the wedding process was the wedding chamber and the hoopah. Before leaving, the young man announces to his bride-to-be. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I will return for you when that place is ready. He tells her that. He says, I'm leaving now. Here's my gifts. I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine again until our wedding day. Here's the gifts. But I am going to prepare a place for you And then I will come back and I will receive you when it is ready. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I I am, you may be also. The usual practice was for the young Jewish man... It was for him to return to his father's house, and there he would build a honeymoon room. I don't know of a better description. It's a honeymoon room, and this would be known as the wedding chamber. Now, in Jewish weddings, we see this symbolized by what is called the hoopah. There's a picture of it here, and and it's a canopy which is... It's characteristic of, of most Jewish weddings now, and, and the hoopah the here that's over that, the top of that, it symbolizes the home that the couple will build together. Also, the covering over it represents God's presence over their marriage. Before long, or long before the hoopah the became tradition in, in Jewish society, the marriage chamber was a Hebrew standard. The groom was not allowed to skimp on this project when he gets back to his father's house it is his job to make sure that he builds a sturdy sturdy room for them this this wedding chamber that he would build he he couldn't he, he couldn't skimp on it He he couldn't hold back he he had to make sure that 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 it was everything it needed to be and before he could uh, 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 leave to go get his bride. He had to get approval from his father. His father would come and look at it, and he would give him uh, a, a list of things uh, that a, a punch list, if you will. You need to do this. You need to make sure, son, that it has indoor plumbing, because that woman does not want to go outside to go to the bathroom. You know, it, things things that he knew would beautify it, because this is going to be an important place for for them and for the intimacy of their marriage. He knows that that the father knows that the son has to get this right. And if asked before the wedding, before, before anything is set in stone as, as far as a date, if anyone asked him, do you know when you're getting married, the son would reply, only my father knows. In other words, when I have that room ready, he will give the final approval, and then I will go and, and receive my bride. Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus said, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son but the Father only. You see, Jesus was painting this picture of marriage. He says, this is how much I love you. I'm willing to give my life for you. And the only thing that I can use to describe that is, 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 is Jewish marriage. He said, this is what matters the most. And he said, I don't even know. I'm gonna wait until my Father says it is prepared, and then he will send me to receive my bride. Meanwhile, the bride, she's making herself ready so that she can be pure, beautiful, and spotless for her bridegroom. 2 Peter 3 and 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Oh, there's so much that that verse says. You see, I'm afraid that sometimes, church, we look more like the bridezilla of Christ than we do the bride of Christ. You know what bridezilla looks like, right? She's over-anxious. She's nervous, worried about everything. She loses her cool. She's screaming at everybody. Like, when when life comes against her, she is a mess. And, And what's sad to me is that many church members, church people, Christians today, they look a lot like the bridezilla of Christ, too we're, we're, we're over-anxious, we're worried, when all the while he says, cast your cares on me because I care for you. If we ever get to the place to where we understand that no matter what life throws at us, God is still sovereign and God is still in control. If we ever get to the place to where we recognize that we are the bride of Christ and all that we have to worry about is, is, is being prepared. I wanna present myself holy, I wanna present myself pure, I, I wanna make sure that I am living in peace, as Peter said, When will God's people once again return to a place of peace where we put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ that no matter what comes, I still believe. I still believe I'm not gonna fret, I'm not gonna worry. If I have to, I'll pray without ceasing because God, I know you're capable, I know you're possible and I know that just the words out of your mouth, you can heal me, you can restore me, you, you, you can replenish what the enemy has stolen from my life. If the church will ever get back to that place, we will once again look like the bride of Christ we should be busy preparing ourselves making ourselves ready for his return because the world's watching around us during this time the the bride would wear a a veil anytime she went out in public and the reason why she would do that is it would tell everyone that saw her that she's spoken for That she has been bought with a price, that there is a bridegroom that has paid a price for her, that she is worthy to someone else. And that veil shows everyone that she has taken. You see, it's time that the bride of Christ, that we once again cover ourselves with holiness and we start letting the world look at us and they sense that there's something different. You see, we have adapted to the ways of the world. We have allowed Fox News and CNN and every other media outlet, we've allowed them to dictate what we worry about, what we care about. And what the church has to do is we have to start resembling the bride of Christ again. We've got to put the covering of holiness back on our lives and we've got to show this world that we are spoken for that we are different and that no matter what comes our faith is in Jesus Christ because the world is watching us and finally you get to the wedding when the wedding chamber was ready the bridegroom could collect his bride and here's the thing he could do this at any time without notice so that the bride she has to be prepared for his arrival at a moment's notice she has to be ready to go and it was the custom for a bride to keep a lamp remember no electricity so it could happen in the middle of the night and it was the custom for her to keep a, a lamp next to her bed her, her veil so that she could go outside and, and and other things that that were there for 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 her to take with her and her bridesmaids were also waiting with her and and they had to have oil ready for their lamps and, and and they just had to be ready at a moment's notice in Matthew chapter 25, I'm not going to read it today, but in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells this parable. It, it's, it's not an actual event. It's him ex- expressing through words uh, the kingdom of God, and he's trying to teach his listeners about the kingdom of God. And he talks about what we call the parable of the ten virgins. Parable of the ten virgins, and here's, here's the way he told it. He, he said there were these ten virgins that were waiting on their bridegroom. He said five of them had oil in their lamps, and they were prepared, they were ready. He said five of them did not. It hits the five that do not, the bridegroom could be on his way. And they look at the other five and say, can we borrow some oil from you? They're prepared, they're ready. And these five look at them and say, no, we don't have enough to share with you. We're prepared, you should go, and, and, and you should go shopping and get your own. They leave to go get their own oil so that they would be prepared, but it was too little too late. The bridegroom comes, and and he receives the five, and these five, they're left behind. Jesus said that the kingdom of God will be like this. And then he said at the end of that parable in in Matthew 25 and verse 13, he said, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. What this tells me, church, is that it, it can happen at any moment. I might not even get the next word out of my mouth. See, some of you got scared right there. You thought, man, this is it. This is the glitch. I'm done. I'm done. No, see, it could happen at any moment, church. And we must be ready. We must be prepared. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17. Let let me explain this to you before I read this. When the the groom is coming to get the bride with his, his friends, his groomsmen, if you will, when they got close enough to the, to the bride's house, they would give out a shout. They would announce, the groom is coming. And then someone would grab a shofar and, and they would blow that horn. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first It gets me because I'm looking for a great reunion one day. He says, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. From this moment on, we're with Jesus. Never without him again. When the wedding party arrived at the groom's father's house the newlyweds would then go into the wedding chamber get this for a seven day honeymoon I'm gonna be careful seven days of wedded bliss that's why it had to be prepared correctly that's why he he couldn't skimp on it that's why he couldn't cut corners because for seven days they're going to live in there and think about the time they're living in in the, in the hot middle east it was a place that for seven days they are pampered people bring them food when they request food and it's them living together learning each other during that time for seven days when they enter that All the friends would celebrate for the seven days uh, that the couple were were honeymooning. And and when the couple emerged, there would be much congratulations. And then there's this moment that's called the marriage supper. It begins. I'm going to talk more about the marriage supper next week. But listen to Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9. As John saw things that are to come, listen to how he describes it. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. I hope you didn't miss it. He said that the bride, the bride of Christ, will clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And then he said, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. I want to reinforce this. I cover this often, but I want to make sure you understand. You cannot do anything to earn your salvation. Jesus Christ is the only one. He paid the price for you to be saved, for you to spend eternity with him. He paid the price. But let me tell you what you can do. You can clothe yourself with good deeds there's a purpose for what we do here on earth and when we get there in preparation for that great wedding We get to clothe ourselves. It says, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. There's a reason why we serve one another here in this church. There's a reason why we go out into the streets and we serve our community. There's a reason why we continue to work like it depends on us, but putting all of our trust in him because we know that it depends on him. It's because these are righteous deeds and and we will be clothed in our righteous deeds. Church, I'm so happy to be a part of a church like this that we understand servanthood. We know what it means to to perform these these righteous acts on his behalf, not to save us, but so that we can share the love of God because it's those righteous deeds of the saints that we will be clothed in. For those that love the Lord. There's a celebration that is being planned right now. It's, it's being prepared right now. And it could be any hour. It could be any, any second. In any moment, we could be called up to be with him forever. My first wedding that I ever performed in, in Tampa, I was a youth pastor in Tampa, And the very first wedding I ever performed, it started 30 minutes late. How's that for your first wedding? It wasn't my fault. They came to me before the wedding. I was ready. I was was ready to go. And they came to me and they said, Pastor, you you need you need to stall. They said, the groom's grandparents, the aunt and uncle, are trying to get them here and they're not here yet. They're stuck in in traffic. Now it's Tampa, so think about this. They're stuck in traffic. You need to stall. And as time was ticking, I'm like, this crowd is, is going to get anxious here in a moment. They don't know what's happening. They don't have the insight, the knowledge that I had. So my very first wedding, I walked out. I took center stage without, without anyone else on stage with me. And I looked at this congregation of people there for the wedding. And I looked at them and I said, I want you to relax. We don't have a runaway bride or a runaway groom. They're both here. They're both ready. They're excited but we are waiting on family members to arrive because it is important to the wedding party. Everyone understood. Now, I wasn't out there whenever the the grandparents and the aunt and uncle showed up, but I'm sure they got some looks, I'm sure. But that wasn't the worst wedding delay that I ever experienced. The worst one was probably here in in Newberry. It was at the old student center. About 12 years ago, I performed a wedding there, and, and the bride, was an hour and a half late to her own wedding nobody ever believes me when i tell them that and i'm not going to tell you any names because they, they, they still attend dcc and i, I looked around and I don't, I don't see them here but um that probably wouldn't change i'd probably still sell them out but no names hour and a half late and we were getting updates from from the house down the road where they were at and, and I could tell the groom was, was becoming extremely anxious. And he had finally had enough and, and he called her on the phone. And I heard him, I heard him. We were standing outside the church and I heard him. He was like, I don't care, you just get here, you get here. I don't care about them, you just get here. And I, I said, can, can, I, can I talk to her? He handed me the phone and he just stormed off. I mean, this guy, he was, he was upset. And I got on the phone I said, hey. I said, everything okay? And she informed me that she was ready. Like she was ready for the wedding. The problem was her bridesmaids. They were dragging their feet, they were doing their hair, they were doing their makeup and all that. And I said, Well, listen, you've got wedding guests. At this point, it had been about an hour. And I said, You've got wedding guests that are probably going to be leaving soon. Like, I don't know if we can delay this any longer. I said, Why don't you just do this? Just get in the car and, and just come to the church because everyone is here to see you. and and your husband to be your your groom that's all that matters she says i'm on my way we hung up and within 15 20 minutes they were all there i mean i I guess she probably threatened the the bridesmaids i don't know but they all showed up and, and we had a beautiful wedding church we must be ready for the return of christ like there's no second chances with this there's grace here there's grace in the moment but when the father says it's all prepared it's all ready and the groom receives his bride after that there's no second chances therefore we've got to be found spotless and pure We've got to make sure that, that we're covered with the righteousness veil so that others can see what Christ has done in us so that they want to come and be a part of this. You see, this, this isn't one of those situations where the bride starves herself so that she can fit into the wedding dress that she was sized for eight months ago. No. We're not worried about squeezing into the dress. We want to let the seams out. We want the bride to grow. Like, grow, woman grow we want the bride of we want the church to grow we want to bring as many people along to eternity with us as we possibly can we must be ready we must be ready we cannot we cannot live in this mindset of you know i'll do better next year no you you don't know if you have next year Christ is going to return at some point Christ is going to return and you can't be found without oil in your lamp you have to be ready you have to be prepared And so with those thoughts I want to give everyone in the room an opportunity today to be prepared because those who call on the name of Christ they shall be saved it really is that simple yeah there's some things we got to let the holy spirit work out there's some there's some rough edges man that we got to let the holy spirit sand there's some preparation that needs to take place so that we can be presented as pure and spotless but here's the here's the thing we can't do that on our own at all at all but we can allow the spirit of god to work in us and the first step of that is saying i acknowledge who i'm not and i acknowledge who he is and that I need His grace. I need His love. I need His forgiveness. And so today, you you feel the Holy Spirit pulling at you. Scripture says, unless the Holy Spirit of God pulls at you, you can't come to the Father. Right now, He's drawing you. He's pulling you in, and you must not ignore that because you you are not guaranteed anything. Right now is that moment of preparation, and all that you have to do is admit that you're a sinner, and cry out to Christ for forgiveness. That's it. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking, please. Please be reverent of this moment. I want to respect everyone in the room that is contemplating this decision. I will not embarrass you. I'm not asking you to stand. I'm not asking you to come forward. But what I am asking you to do is to examine your heart right now and to be completely honest. You're standing before a holy God right now. you know that the Holy Spirit's pulling at your heart and you know that you need forgiveness if you want to know that you have eternal life through Jesus Christ if you're ready to be prepared for his return right now if that's you I want you to raise your hand high come on raise it high you're saying pastor yes I see that hand thank you someone else would say pastor please yes thank you someone else leave it up leave it up someone else would say pastor just pray for me I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Church, if you will, look up at me. Praise the Lord. There's six people in this room that said, I need Jesus. I need forgiveness. prayed and I have fasted for this moment so that you could come to know the love of Jesus Christ and have the forgiveness that he gave me we're not going to single you out I promised you that we wouldn't do that and so I'm not going to do that but together as a church body we're going to say a prayer together we're going to say it with you to give you the strength and the courage to say it out loud but I need you you need you to make my words your prayer today when you say these words say them with conviction say say them like you mean them and receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ into your life so church to give them the courage they need I want you to look up to heaven everyone in the room and let's say this prayer together dear Lord I'm a sinner I need a savior I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and that he rose again giving me eternal life and today I make him the Lord of my life in his name I pray amen amen would you praise the Lord amen thank you Lord thank you for grace Thank you for mercy. Thank you for forgiveness, Lord. We praise you. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.